service. Hey, are you guys proud dog owners like I am? You ever wonder why so many dogs are suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, you know Katherine Heigl from Knocked Up, she's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation. And she says that she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, Catherine feels that there's one place that we can all look to improve our dog's health, and that is their food. Many dog foods can actually create toxins that can be wrecking our dog's health. Okay, and this is true even for many of the premium dog food brands. However, by just adding a few special superfoods to our dog's diets, we can see huge transformations in their health. Catherine Heigl has already done this. She's made a video about it. You guys need to watch this video. It's a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. This worked amazingly for my dog, Dusty. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin, uh, healthier coat. Dusty's coat looks fantastic. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash disgraceland and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash Disgraceland. Disgraceland is brought to you by Disgraceland All Access. Disgraceland All Access membership is your chance to support the show and get ad-free listening, an exclusive scripted episode every month, and exclusive bonus content every week, plus access to an always-on chat with me and your fellow discos. Visit disgracelandpod.com slash membership or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. This episode contains content that may be disturbing to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more information. Disgraceland is a production of Double Elvis. The stories about Lil' Kim are insane. She lived on the streets when she was 14 to escape her abusive father. She survived the shootout when her beef with a fellow rap star lit up a Manhattan radio station. She committed perjury to save her crew from prison time, and they didn't return the favor. She straddled the sex positivity movement with lyrics that reinvented what it meant to be a woman in hip-hop. Her music counted the diamonds in her rings and told the world that's how many times she wanted to finish. She's a walking, quote-unquote, explicit content sticker that paved the way for songs like Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's WAP, even 25 years after Lil' Kim's solo debut. Few rappers expose their sexuality like she can, because Lil' Kim makes filthy and great music. Unlike that loop I played for you at the top of the show, that wasn't great music. That was a preset loop from my Mellotron called You Better Get Bad, Jack. MK2. I played you that clip because I can't afford the rights to Stutter by Joe featuring Mystical. And why would I play you that specific slice of two-timing R&B cheese? Could I afford it? Because that was the number one song in America on February 25th, 2001. And that was the day that would lead Lil' Kim down a path of perjury and prison time. On this episode, Shootouts, explicit content, sex positivity, loyalty in the land of the mafia, and Lil' Kim. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Disgraceland.
Ingrid Rivera struggled to make sense of the sweaty mass pulsing in front of her. Hips grinding, beers spilling, a blur of flesh with arms and legs poking out. Somewhere inside that mess was Ingrid's gift. She had to fish it out. She elbowed her way through the throng of people, and the soles of her stilettos stuck to the nightclub's floor. The flowers, where were those goddamn flowers? Ingrid's mission was straightforward. Find the bouquet she walked in with. Don't get distracted by Wyclef Jean and Missy Elliott chatting in the corner. Avoid any and all romantic advances, and then make a special delivery. It was a simple task if you weren't flying high on cocktails. But Ingrid reached cruising altitude hours ago, and now the skies were looking murky. Under no circumstances could she get distracted. Ingrid's bouquet had to go straight into the arms of the birthday girl, AKA Ingrid's idol, AKA Queen Bee, AKA Lil Kim. The party at Spotlight Live that evening, August 3rd, 2008, was for Lil Kim's 33rd birthday. The club itself was open to the public all night long. Fans knew they could find Kim inside. Big fans like Ingrid who came bearing gifts. She brought a bouquet worthy of a queen into the Manhattan club that night. A barkeep stashed it away when Ingrid couldn't find the birthday girl. And now Ingrid couldn't find that bouquet. She couldn't even find her friends. Ingrid turned her head to the left. The room swayed to the right. There had to be a closet or a VIP lounge she didn't know about. Some secret stash space removed from the chaos. Ingrid opened the first door she found and staggered inside. Urinals and bathroom stalls, definitely not storage. But there was a manager in that room who was happy to show Ingrid the right door, the door that led to the street. It was almost 3 a.m. She was a liability stumbling around in those stilettos. The manager wasn't there to babysit. Time to give up and go home. So Ingrid was tossed outside. Another employee from the club disagreed. The barkeep who had stowed away her bouquet earlier approached Ingrid on the street. He could get her back inside and help her make that special delivery. He even had access to the club's VIP penthouse. He'd get Ingrid's flowers and bring her right to the roof. That's probably where Lil' Kim was camped out for the evening. All she needed to do was join him in the freight elevator. He was gonna fuck her cousin. Fuck her like it was nothing. Like their relationship didn't mean shit to him. Like it was normal to hoe around with your girl's family. That motherfucker Biggie Smalls is gonna fuck her cousin. Lil' Kim tried to get comfortable in her chair at the recording studio. She couldn't bring herself to make eye contact with her lover. She couldn't bring herself to do much of anything. So what if Usher needed verses for his song? Usher could wait. Kim was in no mood to lay down bars. Not after what she just learned. Her cousin wanted $400 for the deed. What you gonna do for $400, Biggie asked. Kim shuddered at the thought. Not at the thought of the sex. She could rap about sex all night long. She'd tell you where to shove it, lick it, eat it, kiss it, stroke it, whatever, wherever. Lil' Kim straddled the sex positivity movement in the 90s, but even she had her limit. She drew the line of disloyalty. No boyfriend of Lil' Kim was gonna double time her with her own family. Not even rap royalty like the notorious B.I.G. Because Lil' Kim was rap royalty too. Cross Queen B and she'll have your head served on a platinum record. She could have reached across the room and beheaded Biggie herself if the idea tickled her. Biggie didn't even need to be here. That trader just wanted to hover nearby as if Kim needed help cranking out lyrics. She had her verses. She was good. But she wasn't feeling good on the inside. Unfaithful motherfucker. Ungrateful motherfucker. If you ain't worshiping at the altar of Lil' Kim, she don't need it. 
Usher still needed those verses, though. Biggie would make sure he got them. Immediately. He ordered Kim into the hallway to speak in private. She glared up at him and waited for the lecture. Biggie told her to grow a pair and spit her bars already. He wanted bars, huh? Some vicious rhymes to send shivers down his spine. She had plenty of those stored up just for him. Kim fired off, told Biggie to keep it in his pants and keep his guard up. She had the higher ground, and there was no way she was going to give up this time. Biggie reached for his strap. He wrapped his hand around the handle of his pistol. Kim froze. Biggie wasn't asking her to record the verses. He was telling her. If she had a problem with that, she could catch a bullet just like anyone else. Kim stormed back into the studio. She spit out her verses like venom. So this was love. Pick a man to protect you and he'll threaten you anyway. Just like her father did to her mother. Just like Biggie did to Lil' Kim. It was the same old pattern. Violence, always looming around every corner. Even when Kim believed she was around people she could trust. Her father's fist pushed her mother out of their family when Kim was eight. Back then, she was just Kimberly Jones, daughter of a military man who believed in brute force. One time, her father socked her mother in the face and told friends that her two black eyes were because she just fell down. Kim's mother would rather live out of the trunk of a car than fall down again, so that's exactly what she did. Kim did the same thing when she was 14. She picked the streets of Brooklyn over her father's verbal and physical abuse, which was handed down to her like a family heirloom. Men could be volatile. Kim learned that lesson early. But they could also be tamed. And little Kim was a regular snake charmer. She adapted quickly on the streets of Bed-Stuy. If you had a boyfriend, you had food and protection. And if you could have great sex, you had yourself a boyfriend in no time flat, even if no money was exchanged. Sex was currency. In that sense, Lil' Kim was rich. And the notorious B.I.G. knew he could make her even richer. When Biggie first met Kim on Fulton Street, she seemed too cute to rap. At 17 years old and 4'11", she didn't look like your average rap star. But Lil' Kim was sicker than your average. And she was sexier, too. Turns out Kim could rap fast and furious, foaming at the mouth, just like Biggie. Didn't matter. He insisted men didn't want to hear hard truths coming from a petite little thing from Brooklyn. They wanted a sex kitten spitting rhymes about swallowing. A goddess could knock a man to his knees every time she mentioned her immaculate pussy, which, in Lil' Kim's world, was like every 30 seconds. Biggie started Kim as a member of Junior Mafia, a hip-hop group of his own creation. Her verses peppered their 1995 debut, Conspiracy, with foul-mouthed sexuality. She didn't just tell men to put their face between her thighs. She told them she'd count dollar bills while her nectar gushed down their throats. It was clear Lil' Kim needed her own album to detail her own sexcapades with her own verses, enough of people crediting Biggie for her hard work. Lil' Kim had her own ideas about her debut solo album. She craved something so explicit it would make faithful men sweat, something so enticing it could make tail-chasing bachelors dream about marriage and baby carriages, something hardcore. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about my Tacova's cowboy boots. I picked them up while I was in Austin, Texas. I had this event I had to go to that night. It was a formal thing. 
I had this idea of what I was going to wear, but I needed the one extra thing. And I was like, aha, Tacovis. There's a Tacovis here in Austin. The dudes who worked at the store were great. I found the exact boot I was looking for. This boot is called the Dylan. I got it in midnight black. I wore them to this formal event. I had on a suit. And then tonight, I'm going to wear them with jeans to my son's baseball game. These things are amazing cowboy boots. They're super comfortable, and I can tell already that they're going to last for a long time. A couple things you can do here to check out Tecovis. If you can, stop by your local Tecovis store. Have a complimentary drink or two. The experience is awesome. You can shop all the new styles. You're going to smell that fresh leather in the store. The friendly staff are going to be at your service. They're going to take care of you. They're going to make you feel like a rock star. A lot of the Tacovis stores have these leather custom branding services to make your boots truly personalized. They put on regular live music and events. It's an awesome in-store experience. So if you have the opportunity to check out a Tacovis store, I highly recommend it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges. And they ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, Discos, it's Jake here. Thank you so much for listening to Disgraceland. Your support truly means a lot to me, and it's because of you that my team and I are able to make this show. If you want more Disgraceland, if you want more regular interactions with me and the community of Disgraceland listeners, or if you simply want to listen to the show ad-free, go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership, or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. For just five bucks a month, you can listen to every episode of Disgraceland ad-free. Plus, you'll get one brand new exclusive episode every month. You'll also get weekly unscripted bonus content, special audio collections, and early access to merch and events. There are two ways that you can support the show and become a member at disgracelandpod.com membership. You can sign up using Patreon and listen to the show ad-free on Apple, Spotify, and most other major podcast platforms. And Patreon members also get access to all the other perks of membership in an always-on chat where I'll be interacting with you and diving deeper into the world of Disgraceland. But maybe you're currently an Apple Podcast subscription listener and you want to just tap into all the bonus audio content and ad-free listening that we're offering. We're also offering this membership as a premium channel on Apple Podcasts. However you choose to join, all you got to do is go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Support the show for just $5 a month, five bucks, or sign up for an annual plan and get two months free. Come join me and your fellow discos at Disgraceland All Access by visiting disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Lil' Kim took too much this time. She was doubled over on the stretcher. Her stomach spasmed. It squelched and squirmed like a rabid animal. She tried to soothe herself. You know who you are. Your little Kim, bitch. Nothing was too freaky for her. She could take anything. Wink, wink. Even a plastic tube shoved down her throat. A paramedic pushed the tube through little Kim's nose and down her windpipe. He coaxed it into her stomach. Then he switched on the suction. Fluid pumped through the tubing. Little Kim swallowed more than she could handle tonight. Liters more. So much that the liquid was eating away at the lining of her stomach. Not drugs, not alcohol. Little Kim needed her stomach pump to remove all the... Okay, I'm going to come right out and say it. There's no way little Kim consumed so much semen that she needed her stomach pumped. 
It doesn't even contain an active ingredient that could hurt your internal organs, but I digress. The urban legend that Lil' Kim needed to have cum pumped out of her in a medical capacity is 100% absurd, but that never stopped anyone from repeating it. The myth was spread in high school hallways, record stores, online message boards. Some versions added new details. Lil' Kim collapsed on stage mid-performance that her fling with Biggie was to blame. One version involved an elephant, which, come on, seriously? You could speculate that Kim's nasty bars inspired such a vulgar rumor. Untrue. This fable dated back to the 1970s when people told the same story about Rod Stewart or David Bowie. Britney Spears was featured in future versions. Gross as it was, the stomach pump story was an urban legend made for legends. It was a legend fit for a queen. And little Kim was quickly becoming just that. Her debut album, Hardcore, sucked and fucked its way to number 11 on the Billboard 200 in 1996. Listeners were seduced by Lil' Kim's sticky depictions of what she could do to you and what she demanded you do for her. Her rhymes about throwing lips on certain body parts seduced Americans into buying 1.5 million copies. And just in case anyone struggled to picture the pornographic scenes Lil' Kim described, the album art included a photo to stimulate their imagination. It's a snap of Kim squatting on the floor in a cheetah print bikini, legs spread, feathered robe grazing her bare skin, bedroom eyes locked at camera level. The notorious B.I.G. handpicked the photo from the album photo shoot. It was one of his last tips for his lover and protege before he was assassinated just months later in the spring of 1997. His death was proof that the East Coast, West Coast beef and mainstream hip hop had gone too far. But Biggie's absence was also proof that Lil' Kim was nobody's puppet. The Queen Bee could rule on her own just fine. Kim loved Biggie fiercely, but that didn't mean she needed him to sustain her career. She counted her coins while Hardcore went platinum, then double platinum. Her following record, The Notorious K.I.M., flew off the shelves even faster in 2000. It was a new century, a new era for women in rap music. Dudes weren't the only ones bragging about their platinum plaques and designer digs. Kim could afford to drape herself with clothes from any of the brands she name-dropped in her songs, Chanel to Versace. She had so much cash that she had a favorite kind of fur. It's chinchilla, by the way. She kept her closet full of fur coats for modest days, a fur bikini for everything else. She wore a 30-carat diamond belly chain, pasties in every shade, especially lavender, like the one that caused Diana Ross to jiggle Kim's exposed breast at the MTV Video Music Awards in 1999. She melded sex, style, and songwriting into one persona. Lil' Kim would tell you to count the diamonds in her rings and then demand to give her the same number of orgasms in one breath. Lil' Kim wasn't the first woman to rap. She wasn't even the first woman to rap about sex. But she was the first woman to tell you she was down to fuck in explicit terms, just like one of the men. Not have sex. Fuck. In the mid-1990s, there was another woman in hip-hop spelling out her desires. A certified fox. She put her pussy right in the title of her debut album, called it Lil Nana. It dropped one week after Hardcore, and she went by the name of Foxy Brown. No one knew where Lil' Kim's feud with Foxy Brown came from. Didn't matter. All hip-hop fame came with a beef. And Lil' Kim beefed with Foxy Brown like she was at a steakhouse. Their rivalry divided mainstream hip-hop into two sides. Kim had Junior Mafia behind her. Foxy Brown had murder unit. As far as Kim was concerned, Junior Mafia was the winning team. Because in the Mafia's land, loyalty is everything. Foxy Brown could have shared that loyalty with Kim. They were even supposed to make an album together. They were going to call it Thelma and Louise. 
But when you want to be the queen bee, what you can't be, people get mad. At least, that's how Kim saw it. Both women wounded each other with their wordplay. Puffy even did some of Kim's bidding. Puffy and Kim hopped on Lil Cease's track Play Around in 1999, in which Puffy demanded that a little Kim copycat stop trying to sound like her. Kim continued the battle on the notorious KIM with a jab that Foxy wasn't a star, and even her label knew it. Foxy fired back on Capone and Noriega's 2000 album The Reunion. She damned the notorious KIM to the bottom of the bargain bin, said it was lame and weak. Neither woman named names, but everyone knew who they were talking about. Lil' Kim and Foxy Brown were vixens to the hip-hop world, but villains to each other. Kim didn't sweat it. She knew who wore the pants in this new era of hip-hop. After all, who did the industry call when Pink, Christina Aguilera, and Maya remade Lady Marmalade for the Moulin Rouge soundtrack? Only one rapper boasted the crossover appeal to hang with all the mainstream pop girls in 2001. The song was a half-phony French, half-English, all-sex, but somehow no swears, banger. This new Lady Marmalade represented all things fierce and female about the turn of the century. It peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and stayed there for five weeks. It remains Lil' Kim's best-selling single to this day. So while Foxy Brown talked shit, Kim was busy counting bank figures. And if Foxy ever wanted to walk the walk and start a proper fight, Kim would handle it like a real bitch. When Lil' Kim rolled up, she rolled deep. Lil Cease, Larceny, her bodyguard, C. Gutta, her manager, Damian Butler. They all trailed behind her when she burst through the doors of Hot 97. She had a real treat for the Manhattan radio station that afternoon. Three members of Junior Mafia were in the building. The group disbanded years ago, literally in the last century, but their names still carried weight in the hip-hop world. Besides, Lil' Kim, Lil Cease, and Larceny were forever bonded by the land of the Mafia. Nothing could separate them. Hot 97 stacked its schedule on that day, February 25th, 2001. The DJ would interview Kim first, then he'd usher her out the door and welcome guest number two for the afternoon, Capone, as in one half of Capone and Noriega, the very same Capone who allowed Foxy Brown to take aim at Kim on his new album. Foxy's remarks were the latest jab in their years-long feud. Their beef was growing stale, tiresome. Kim's crew was ready to bury it once and for all even if it meant burying Foxy Brown's posse. It was a scene straight out of a Western. Kim's crew was exiting the radio station. Capone's crew stood in the street. Hot 97 wasn't big enough for the two of them. You got beef with Lil' Kim, her side cried out. A member of Capone's crew answered with a bullet. That was C. Gutta's cue. Kim's bodyguard reached for the Mac 11 strapped under his vest. Military grade. This was war. Bullets flew across Hudson Street, straight into the walls of nearby apartments, then straight to a member of Murder Unit's crew. A bullet pierced one of Capone's buddies in the back, and the impact knocked him onto the sidewalk. He froze in a growing puddle of his own blood, pretended he dropped dead just in case someone else wanted to plant a bullet in his brain for good measure. But Kim's crew wasn't sticking around to survey the damage. She ducked into her limo with her entourage and tore ass away from the scene. The man who'd been shot stumbled to his feet, his clothes soaked in blood. He staggered into the street and hailed a cab to the hospital. That man lived. So did the beef. Loyalty in the land of the mafia was about to be tested. We'll be right back after this word, word, word.
Lil' Kim scanned the options in front of her. Frayed Daisy Dukes, a champagne-colored gown, a fire-red top embroidered with beading. The queen of rap could do better. This was no ordinary day in front of the camera. Today was a promotional shoot for her new album, The Naked Truth. Where was the fur, the sequin pasties? Hell, send back the cheetah print bikini from the hardcore album art. This rack of clothes was a farce compared to Kim's wardrobe at home. She forked over twenty dollars to $30,000 every month to keep her style looking fresh. That meant a wig for every hour of the day, over 2,500 pairs of shoes, a designated room for each designer, 3,000 manicures that decorated her nails with shredded $100 bills. Lil' Kim literally destroyed money to remind everyone she still rapped for fat stacks. Just crunched the numbers for La Bella Mafia, her platinum record from 2003. The outfits in front of Kim today were not Bella. They were boring. Queen Bee deserved better, but she didn't have any time to complain. The clock was ticking. Not from the record label. The clock from the feds. Lil' Kim was going to jail. Kim didn't fire a gun that day outside of Hot 97 in 2001. She didn't so much as swing a fist, but she had another way of backing up her crew. She used the same lips to put other rappers on blast. Lil' Kim lied under oath repeatedly. In 2001 and 2003, she testified that her manager, Damian Butler, wasn't at the scene of the shootout. Security footage from Hot 97 said otherwise. A tape showed him standing beside her at the station before and during the shooting. Strike one. Then Damien pulled a gun and fired at Capone's crew. Strike two. There was another lie. Kim said she didn't know C. Gutta, her own bodyguard. Strike three. You know, you're out. In March of 2005, Lil' Kim was convicted of lying to a grand jury in three counts of conspiracy. The security tapes from Hot 97 alone could have locked her up, but it got worse when her crew took the stand. Damien Butler and C. Gutta owned up to everything and pleaded guilty. Larceny's accurate account as an eyewitness shattered Kim's statement. So did Lil Cease's testimony. Lil Cease claimed he had no choice since he was subpoenaed. Bullshit, you always had a choice. Kim had a choice, right? Either tell the truth and damn her crew or lie your ass off and give them a chance at freedom. She chose wrong. Now all her decisions revolved around finishing the naked truth before her prison sentence. She had three days until she traded those designer clothes for an orange jumpsuit or whatever women wore at prison camps. The judge assigned Kim the same destination as Martha Stewart. The court argued that Kim and Martha Stewart were stuck in the same boat. That was a riot. One woman was a mild-mannered homemaker guiding women toward their best domestic lives, and the other was the patron saint of sinner's rap. But they were both liars. Insider trading and perjury were just two different forms of dishonesty and the judge wanted Kim's sentence to mirror Martha's time in prison so no one could cry discrimination. But Martha got five months at a prison camp, and Kim got a year and a day. So much for keeping things even. Kim knew what she really was. She was an example the feds could point to when they needed to demonstrate what happened to rappers who stepped out of line. Her trial was just another battle in the government's war on hip-hop. They indicted Kim for her music, not her lies. She used her new album to make those politics loud and clear. The Naked Truth had balls. It stripped away the bullshit, kept it body, sneered at snitches, boasted its allegiance to bed And if you still wanted to spread rumors that Lil' Kim was dead broke or sniffing coke, she had a specific message for you. Shut up, bitch. The Naked Truth even condemned Junior Mafia and anyone who was still riding with him. And that chapter of Lil' Kim's career was through. 
It was 2005, for Christ's sake, the 90s were long gone. And so was Kim's trust. She could hear the inmates calling to her from where she sat on her bus. They banged on the slitted windows in their prison cells. Fists on glass rumbled like an earthquake. They were sending a message. We've got your back. Her time was up. No more sitting lovely and popping Don P in the club. No more $3,000 manicures. No more nonstop album hustle. Lil' Kim's prison sentence began today. September 19th, 2005. Kim sent a decoy out of the bus first. Her cousin, also four foot 11. That didn't fool the prisoners. They held their clamoring until they saw the real deal. Fans pressed against the bus door and there was no turning back now. Kim already tried to turn back the clock once and her attorney called the Department of Probations earlier that morning, requesting to push back her sentence. No dice. The department claimed that if Kim wanted an extension so badly, she should have asked earlier. Kim fought the urge to clap back. Maybe she would have requested an extension earlier if she knew where the feds were actually sending her. Just days earlier, Kim thought she'd be whisked away to a low-security federal prison camp. That was all bullshit. The feds wanted her at the Philadelphia Federal Detention Center as if she was the one who fired a gun. Meanwhile, America's glorified housewife got to frolic through a facility with low fences like it was a dinner party. But did Martha Stewart have dozens of prisoners banging on the walls when she made her grand entrance? Bet not. Kim had allies waiting for her on the other side of those cement walls. She had just as many loyal fans gathered on the outside. She just hoped they'd still be there when she finally walked back out. Lil Kim didn't have to wait very long to find out if her fans would stick by her side. Her kingdom awaited the moment she finished her prison sentence. The crowd outside the detention center packed itself so tightly she could barely squeeze herself out the door. Fans closed in from every angle, pushing, prodding, shrieking. They thrust gifts in her path, waved signs in her face. For months, Kim's fans sustained themselves with the naked truth, which dropped barely a week into her prison time. That's right, she dropped her fourth album from behind bars like she didn't give a fuck if she saw how well it did. It's still the only album from a female rapper to be awarded a five-mic rating from the source. Real gangster shit. But Lil' Kim was no gangster when she was doing time. The feds let Kim out of prison early on good behavior. She quickly made peace that she wasn't going to a prison camp as promised, and she cultivated a new routine to help her pass the time. Church on Sundays, Bible study on Tuesdays, karaoke on Christmas. She made damn sure no one had a reason to keep her locked up for a moment longer than necessary. She was a threat to the rap game, not to inmates. The feds sprang her two months earlier, right before the 4th of July in 2006. She would have to endure a month under house arrest and three years under supervision to fully complete her sentence. And that was just fine by her. Kim was barely out the door and life already felt more normal. She was back in demand, back to her chariot. A silver Rolls Royce revved up and ready to go back to the front page of every celebrity magazine. Images of little Kim leaving prison, clutching a balloon and a bouquet of white roses, made the rounds in major music publications. She slipped into the backseat of the rolls, and the rush of fame flushed her cheeks for the first time in 10 months. She had work to do, an MTV Video Music Awards appearance to prepare for, lavish parties to throw, relationships to reevaluate. 
She glanced down at the bouquet in her lap and the balloon bumping against the roof of the back seat. Kim wasn't sure which parts of her circle were loyal anymore, but she knew her fans were loyal to the death. The freight elevator felt like an oven. The air conditioning repairman dabbed sweat from his forehead as it climbed to the roof of the Spotlight Live. It was an easy gig if you could endure August afternoons slinging nuts and bolts atop Manhattan skyscrapers. He just needed to get into the utility shed on the roof and get out as fast as possible. He needed a strong stomach, too. He retched when he opened the door to the shed. The corpse inside was battered, caked with dried blood. Gore spilled from the head. Someone tried to bash this person's brains in, maybe with a pipe, maybe with a champagne bottle. Ingrid Rivera never found her flowers three nights earlier on August 3rd, 2008. The barkeep she met outside the club had no intention of guiding Ingrid to her idol. It was a lie to get her alone. He killed her while 500 guests kept bottle service busy downstairs. And then he shoved the evidence into the utility shed on the roof of the building. No one knew about Ingrid's murder. Not the nightclub staff, not the partygoers, not even the party's host, Lil' Kim. Kim was heartbroken, but she could probably relate at least a little bit. Lil' Kim was a stone-cold stunner who claimed she'd kill a man for her man, by any means. Her loyalty was ironclad, but she couldn't say the same about everyone around her. Kim trusted Biggie back in the day when he wasn't pointing a gun at her. She trusted her father until she became his punching bag, just like her mother. She trusted her crew so much that she stuck her neck out for them in court, and then they slid it when they testified against her and sent her to jail. Lil' Kim's fans were the only ones who deserved her loyalty and protection, but even they trusted the wrong people on occasion. Sometimes it ends in death, but they all end in disgrace. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Disgraceland. Disgraceland was created by yours truly and is produced in partnership with Double Elvis. Credits for this episode can be found on the show notes page at disgracelandpod.com. If you're listening as a Disgraceland All Access member, thank you for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And if not, you can become a member right now by going to disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Members can listen to every episode of Disgraceland ad-free. Plus, you'll get one brand new exclusive episode every month. Weekly unscripted bonus episodes, special audio collections, and early access to merchandise and events. Visit disgracelandpod.com slash membership for details. Rate and review the show and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at DisgracelandPod. And on YouTube at youtube.com slash at DisgracelandPod. Rock a roll up.